This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong. Many businesses have faced the pandemic head on and come out the other side. Now, the question is, what does it take for a brand to not just hang on by a thread, but to actively grow and thrive? On the line with me is Russell Pearson, an award-winning business owner, founder of the Forge Business Program and host of the Marketing Report podcast, alongside many other titles. He's also known as the brand design guy and the business blacksmith. He'll be discussing that with me and much more. Well, thanks for having me here, number one. uh, Appreciate it. Um, yeah, Russell Pearson, uh, last 20, nearly six years, so 26 years. Uh, I've been working mainly in sales, marketing and promotion and uh, I've done everything from build my agency, sold my agency. But, but ideally right now we work with a lot of um, businesses who sell expertise uh, to improve their their sales and their marketing, so client engagement, increasing fees um, and better clients. Brilliant. So mm. I think let's just start with, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a lot of businesses have sort of come out of the other end of the pandemic. They've just survived, you know, and this is like, obviously, that's a really amazing uh, accomplishment. But what does it take from here to actually go the next step to actually grow and thrive uh, on yeah. a bigger scale? 100%. The um, And it's been interesting because the last couple of years have shown people's ability to adapt and evolve and they've also shown you know systems and processes that are working or are not. And one of the points in particular is actually referrals. So I remember when I got started in, in my business, uh, I was told that I should be building my business off the back of referrals. And what I found is that, you know, it, it sort of works all right when you get started. But then when you want to grow, um, you're suddenly waiting for someone else to give you a client and um, and not only is that frustrating but it can slow you down. And I'd be out at networking events before dawn and I'd be doing advertising and events and all these different things and because I wasn't getting the referrals that I, I, I wanted, you know, I was still getting referrals but, you know, you want lots and lots and lots. And so I was kind of like all these little drips that I'm trying to catch of work. Uh, and I had a, a team that was growing. We ended up having 12 people in the production team. And I needed to feed these people. And then on the way back from one of those events, I just thought it has to be an easier way to do this, right? <laughs> it has to be a way that just works, which was good that that happened when it happened because it set me up for you know success in the pandemic because I'd built things that didn't rely on those referrals. So one of the things in particular that happened across uh, the pandemic in the last few years is that people have been very focused on themselves, very focused on what's going on in their own little bubble in their own world. And so thinking about someone else and how I can refer a client out is not front of mind. Mm. And so a lot of those people who were reliant on referrals really did struggle. And those who had a consistent system for engaging clients proactively have done very well. And I think that's, that's one of the big things that uh, at this point in time, uh, heading towards the end of 2022, that's been so important is the ability for people to adapt, but with a, a, a system of principles in how can I connect with people proactively? How do I actually bring them to a conversation to create opportunities and, uh, and get clients? Now, the flip side of that too is that you don't just want any clients because one of the other things that people have experienced is having to deal with clients they haven't liked across pandemic because they sort of 
had to survive. Mm. Um, whereas those who had that proactive system really were able to really at the end of the day audition people and decide who they wanted to work with. So uh, it, it's interesting. Um, off the back of the last two years, people are looking for more of a lifestyle business than just about ever before. A lot of people are moving from <laughs> seven days a week work to actually more like four days a week work. And to do that, you really need to be able to charge uh, fees that are going to support that lifestyle, but at the same time, uh, work with people who are not going to have you tear your hair out. So, mm. yeah, focus on a proactive system really is part of that. And there's there's a number of different keys to to making that work. Brilliant. I mean, from what it sounds like, you know, and I think this uh, resonates really well because from what I've gathered and from speaking to businesses who have, you know, uh, come out the other side and who have found success even throughout the pandemic, it is that sort of community. It is those connections and that network that has helped uh, greatly with a lot of uh, their success. Um, but also what you're talking about is not just collection, it's also curation and the ability to sort of, like you said, pick and choose and to have that control a little bit as well, right? Mm, 100%, yeah. The, uh, uh, I, I actually call the process the barrel, which is really this concept that, you know, I had all these drips that like I was trying to catch and they're going everywhere. Where, mm -hmm. where can I collect them? Where right. can I bring them together? And to your point on, on um, well, you said network, but it's community, right? How do you actually bring these people around you into a space where not only can they get to know, like, and trust you, but the flip side of that is that you get to know who they are, uh, decide if you like them, and trust that they're not going to, you know, pick your brain and waste your time and ask for cheaper fees, right? Mm. So it is very much a curation. And so the barrel, if you even think of it like a, um, a barrel that you collect stuff in, what you put in it becomes really important because the ingredients, uh, the things that mature together and actually create the result at the other end. So if you start just putting anything in there, you just get this horrible. Yeah, then that's <laughs> so just a horrible. trash can. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a trash can, 100%. Um, but if you if you do put the right ingredients, if you do put the right people in there, people ideally who will be able to work with you at some point, a lot of people bring into their network just anybody. And while they might be good people, they're diluting their opportunities because they're speaking to, you know, 100 people with only 50 of them could actually ever buy. So understanding that at the same time, having some intention behind it. Mm. And how do you arrive at that point where you can sort of um, uh, separate the wheat from the chaff essentially? Yeah, well, you just need to know what you're after. So the um, one of the <laughs> – I've been doing this for years, right? So you, you ask somebody you know, who their market is and 50% of the time it will be, well, we could work with anybody. Right. Um, and that response is a really good way to make um, your business hard work because it means you need to be looking everywhere because if you ask where are they and the, and the, the response is everywhere – then you need to be everywhere. But if you, you start to narrow the focus on it. Now, you could be solving a problem. You could be helping a specific sector or a, um, or a role. And so let's say that you, I don't know, helped financial executives, let's say. All right, well, where, where are they? Well, they're on LinkedIn. That's pretty easy. You can literally search and find a link, list of them. Now, you might be helping people with anxiety, right, which, again, very broad right now is a huge yes. market. But but. But where are they? Well, they're in a, a Facebook group where they're talking about that challenge, right? And so the ability to say where people are down to I can see a list of people uh, becomes such a big definition of who. Mm. So if you're saying who should I be engaging with, 
and then you, you do know where they are, then you probably know who. If you don't know where they are, your who is probably not specific enough. Right. And I think also in a way, there's not much of an excuse to say like, oh, I don't know where to find, uh, you know, my my uh, ideal clientele. Because like you mentioned, uh, you know, with the advent of technology and with all these digital spaces now, it is very, very easy to find like groups of people that have sort of uh, put themselves into these categories or who have connected based on certain commonalities or certain demographics. They're, yeah. you know, it, they, they've done the work for you in a way, um, which from, from that point, I would like to uh, move a little bit to one of the other massive challenges of the pandemic, uh, which was digitalization, right? Like mm. a lot of especially, you know, smaller businesses, that transition um, to going more online and to being more in that space was very difficult. You know, not everyone had the right infrastructure. Not everyone even had the maybe the appropriate knowledge of how to utilize these tools. So talk to me a little bit about that and how you would speak about the way we've approached digitalization in business uh, over the past couple yeah, of years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll start by actually getting offline. Like the the interesting thing is I am starting to get a little old. I've <laughs> been doing this a while. So there are strategies from, you know, I wasn't working back in the 70s, but I was born. Um, the Back in the 70s, people didn't have that sort of technology, right? And so what would they do? Well, they do a lot of area, local area marketing. So if you want to work with people face-to-face, if you want to work in your local area, there are still just as many opportunities offline uh, as there always have been. It could be a supermarket notice board. It could be creating a meetup in your local area that doesn't have to use the technology of meetup. Mm. It can literally just be you engaging in uh, communities and clubs and and local areas. So uh, if you are thinking that you have to get onto technology, think again, you don't. If you, if you have a local area audience speaking to a lot of real estate agents recently, they have a local area market. So they should be engaging in those communities locally and there are so many community opportunities. But going into the digitization of things, people have been forced. They've been forced to move into that space, whether it be through their jobs and having to learn Zoom and Meets and Teams and all the fun technologies out there. They've now been moved into this space where they have a working knowledge of it, which means there has never been a better opportunity to to engage people online than now because you know eighty percent of the world has the skills. All right, so um, there would be very little reason to avoid that opportunity. And one of the um, I, I used to talk about ice cream because no one wanted to talk about marketing. <laughs> and, you know, I'd ask you what type of ice cream you liked and blah, 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 and go on. And I'd tell them a little story about how I'd take my three children to the ice cream shop. Now, I love chocolate ice cream. It could be any sort of chocolate, but it has to be chocolate ice cream, right? <laughs> Triple choc, uh, double, uh, the the one that's got the, the chocolate brownie in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly right. But uh, And my oldest... When I ask her what she wants at 101 Flavors Ice Cream Shop, she's like chocolate. And, you know, I'm not saying that she's my favorite, but (laughs) (laughs) she's a chip off the old block. Mm. But number two, she doesn't like chocolate ice cream, which is weird, number one. Uh, But for her, it just had to be pink, right? So it could be bubblegum, it could be strawberry, it could be raspberry, it could all, as long as it was pink, she was good to go. And so she gets the pink ice cream. And um, the youngest one who hadn't been to the 101 Flavors Ice Cream Shop before, and I can only just see above the counter, so all she sees is colours. I asked her, what do you want? And she just points her arm out and she goes, that one. (laughs) 
and it was the green tea sorbet, <laughs> which was weird. A wild choice it. for the youngest child, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very weird, but, uh, but she really liked it. Um, and what I realised, this is going back a bit, but what I realised is that if I'd just gone there on my own and bought ice cream, it would have been chocolate and half of my family would have been disappointed, mm. right? And I see business owners doing this all the time where they go, my preference is to be on Facebook, but my market's preference is to be on something else. And so they're just choosing what they like, their flavour of digital communication, and they're not trying anything new. And so I suggest to those people who are still resisting moving into the online space, just go and speak to your market. Where are they hanging out? What are they using? And then just try a sample. Yeah, a sample of the technology. See if you could use it. See if you can engage with your clients there. Because when we move to high tech, um, you know, we start to lose our um, our humanity in a way that means that we're we're looking at numbers and we're calling people leads and mm. we're doing all this stuff instead of realizing that there's a human being behind the um, the profile. And that at the end of the day, we want to have a conversation with them. You know, we want to understand who they are and, and if it's the time to, to help them. And so if you're going high tech, then you want to get high touch. You want to have uh, the conversation needs to be the core of all the, the, the high tech stuff, not just moving people through digital funnels. Um, you know, they say you got one funnel away. Uh, I can tell you one funnel away from having a big list that never talks to you. Mm. Uh, but the real the reality is you really want to speak to these people. So how can you get into a conversation with them? Well, you go to where they are and if they've moved online, then you need to try a sample cup. And I went back to that 101 Flavors ice cream shop and I didn't get the double chocolate scoop that I would normally get. I just got a little sample cup of that green tea sorbet and it's fantastic, right? <laughs> so you never know. Brilliant. All right. Well, let's take a short break for some messages. But after that, I will continue my conversation with Russell Pearson, who is an award-winning business owner, founder of the Forge Business Program, host of the Marketing Report podcast. We're just going to have a little chat. We'll pick that up after these messages. Stay tuned to Raise Your Game on BFM 89.9. Burden-free Malaysia. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. You're listening to Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong. On the line with me today is Russell Pearson. He has many, many titles uh, under his name, but he is an award-winning business owner. He's also the founder of the Forge Business Program. He's also the host of the Marketing Report podcast. He's also got these other epithets as well. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about how to sort of take your business to the next level by, you know, using that network and gaining that community and being able to curate your community. And also we talked a little bit about digitalization as well. Now, one of the titles that, uh, Russell, you have, which is fascinating to me and, and is a bit more unique, I would say, um, is the business blacksmith. And this is something that is um, more literal than I think people might assume. Uh, you used to be a blacksmith, uh, if I'm not mistaken. and Well, yeah. <laughs> um, it's an interesting one because, um, and I know you've got a question that you're yes. going to finish off with. Sure. Uh, I will say I'm an amateur Okay, amateur. You're an amateur blacksmith. You have these ideas of what blacksmithing has taught you, interestingly enough, about sales and marketing. I'd love for you to share some of those insights uh, with our listeners today. Yeah, fantastic. Um, 
So uh, I say amateur because for uh, most of my life, I was not handy at all. Like I would never actually do anything with my hands. Mm. <laughs> uh, and uh, there was a certain time in my life where I ended up in hospital. I'm like, you know, I need to not just be in my head because I was in my head in this hospital bed. And I'm like, I start looking for a hobby. Mm. Um, and after nearly blowing up the house, I realized it wasn't electrical engineering. And I, I found um, on YouTube all these uh, backyard blacksmiths. And I'm like, this is amazing. They're actually like taking steel and crafting it into swords and all sorts of madness. Um, and so I recorded a YouTube series that went for over a year and a half of me learning to become a blacksmith. And, um, you know, people ask me what I make these days and other than a lot of mistakes, <laughs> it's just things that are turning sort of old metal into useful tools. So yeah, I make my own tongs, I make uh, decorative stuff for uh, the kids and jewellery and all sorts of cool things. But... What I learned through the lens of blacksmithing is change doesn't happen uh, well without heating things up to a critical temperature because that's what you need to do with steel. So, yeah, you you, you got to heat it up. Now, if you don't heat up the metal, number one, incredibly hard to move. It's really, really strong stuff and so is the willpower of most business people. Um, and the the decision not to move and to stay where they are in that painful situation where they're only making ends meet um, you know, they're getting further and further in debt becomes that situation. So when I actually started the Forge Business Program, I made that the, the focus is like how do we actually help people get to a state where they are ready to change? And then we help them craft and evolve their processes and their businesses so that they get consistent clients, right? So they're able to feed themselves, not rely on handouts from referrals. They're not waiting for someone else to help them grow their business. They can actually do it themselves, which is super cool. Mm. Um, but the interesting thing about um, tools in particular, whether it be uh, knives or axes, um, whether it be uh, something that needs to be strong and long-lasting, is that you put it through a, a cycle called tempering. Right, and so uh, you heat it up, you shape it up, you then quench it in in like a, a liquid, like water or oil, and at that point, the steel becomes like glass. And so do most marketing and sales systems. They put them through a process, they get them going, they put it out there, and they go, "Yeah, it worked." And then instead of actually putting it through a tempering process, they go, "Now I'm just going to pour all the leads and advertising I can possibly push into it," and it breaks. Right. So you've got to take it through a tempering process, which when it comes to metal is a case of slowly heating it up at, a, at the right temperature so it becomes flexible. And so it's no longer like glass. It's just incredibly tough and adaptable. And that's the same thing that happens with the marketing and sales processes. Once you've actually got it to work, you need to take it through a process so that you go, all right, now let's test it 100 times. Let's test it through a process and then you can really start to scale. Because mm. I think that's one of the biggest problems for most small business people. Let's say that we've got something that's successful. We're not going to talk about entrepreneurial startups sort of been building something for two years and never actually finding a market for it. Let's say that they are successful but they want to grow. There is this push to grow fast. And in the process of growing fast, they break everything. In the last 26 years, I've seen so many different marketing tactics and strategies and I'm here to tell you that almost every single one of them works, yet no one gives them the time that it takes to understand the nuance to get them right. Mm. And so part of what we do in The Forge is make sure that the tactics that we're, we're designing with the client and that are working with the client are going to work for them and their business and their team. And when they do, when they understand the nuance of it, 
it's just effortless. And that's the difference. It's between hard work. And I always thought, you know, I, if I worked hard, I would get results, which means that work was hard, <laughs> <laughs> right? But once you actually start building something that's designed for you and for the clients and for certain outcomes, yeah, effortless. Brilliant, brilliant. I really love that. You know, I think uh, definitely that sort of uh, patience and that understanding of taking the time to really make sure something uh, can work. And also, I love the idea that, you know, just because something worked that one time, you need to go back and still refine it. You need to make sure like, okay, I know this, like, there's a lot of stuff, you know, um, for example, when a company uses social media, and like one post goes viral, right? A lot of the time, they don't understand what made that post go viral. And they just replicate the same post again, hoping for the same result, which is you know, I would say a good, what, 99% of the time does not work, right? Because it didn't Well, my understand. colleague, yeah, a colleague of mine literally had a thing go viral uh, only a couple of months ago mm. and it was, there was millions of people engaging in this thing. Now, this is the perfect example of, of what I'm talking about. They had a, uh, a marketing system that put a post out that actually gets all this engagement, but they didn't have a sales system that was tempered, mm. which meant that they had... I think 7,000 people who said, yay, I want the thing, and they couldn't get to 7,000 people. Right. They could only, because it was through LinkedIn in particular, they could only get to 100. They weren't connected to all these people, 100 mm. at a time. And so, like, the majority of that opportunity went to waste. And the excitement that came off the back of it was like, oh, well, how do we make that happen again? And then the steps into, well, making something viral <laughs> is a perfect storm. Yeah, uh, 100%. And again, you know, uh, that's a great thing that you brought up as well, where it's like, just because, you know, you got a lot of views, just because you got a lot of engagement, just because people express interest, you have to be able to then make that transition and take that into actual sales. Otherwise, what's the point, right, in a way? I mean, um, attention is all well and good, but <laughs> if it doesn't actually translate, then, um, you know, that's not clearly not a working system. So that's that's a really interesting point. I think yeah. from here, what I would like to ask um, is, I think also uh, something about um, business that has come up recently is the idea of authenticity and transparency. I think especially, I mean, this has been a, a, a sort of growing conversation, but we now uh, gravitate more and more towards companies that um, that we can trust, right? It's it's stuff that, you know, it's not just, oh, the product works or, um, or you know, whatever, but it's like, uh, what are they doing? Uh, you know, within the industry, who are they? Uh, what are they doing uh, to help the you know ESG goals? Like, what do they have in terms of corporate social responsibility? All mm. that stuff. So, basically, what I would like to to ask is, what does it take, you know, for a business now to sort of get on to that level, right? Like, if you've just started out and you want to build that um, that trust for yourself and your brand, and to make that sustainable, how do you do that exactly? Yeah, well, number one, you don't just. So this is. I, I am so cynical of Simon. It is, is a thing that I am. It's like the people creating this why or waiting for this amazing why. Mm. There's two issues here. Number one, they create a why for other people, right? They create a why to look good, right? Authenticity is very much. It seems fashionable, which means that it's very externally focused. Yeah, you know, it's it's not about yeah, uh, not about you. And then, so that's number one. The other is waiting or trying to find a why that supports the world is just, it's going to slow you down. It's going to make you stall. And so 
you just need to know what's important to you. What small little change are you working to create in your own space? Um, and if what you're working for is for your family to be fed rather than having to change some person's life on the other side of the world, then just be true to that. Um, I find that most authenticity is not authentic at all. And um, whether we're talking about babies crying for food, we are manipulators. Like the, the, as humans, that, that is the reality. And so I have a really nice little litmus test uh, that I ask myself now, which might be useful for your listeners. What is my intention? Is it power or love? What is my intention in this thing that I'm about to do, in this response I'm going to give to this person who gave me some feedback? <laughs> am I doing it to make myself feel better, therefore have control and power, or am I doing it to actually help them, right? And so ask yourself in every decision that you're doing, especially around this piece of authenticity, is like, what is my intention behind this? Am I doing it truly for love or because this person's wrong and needs to be told, which is power? Um, and it's a really useful thing for myself, uh, especially the more I'm in this space and I become a better communicator, that I don't manipulate for power reasons and that I, uh, I'm really here to serve. Brilliant. Well, on that note, thanks so much, Russell, for speaking to me today uh, and yeah, sharing all of your insights. Thank you so much for having me on. You've been listening to Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong. I've been speaking to Russell Pearson here. And if you've missed any of today's chat, you can, of course, download our app. It's on the Apple App Store and Google Play. And head over to our website, bfm.my, to listen to this podcast and many more. You're tuned in to BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.